Last uh, Saturday, a week ago from yesterday, my mom flew up from St. Louis to spend the week with us. And, uh, and she flew up here and she made all these preparations and we made these preparations. She flew into the Milwaukee airport. We picked her up. I was down uh, in Milwaukee for a meeting, picked her up, brought her up, and we spent the week together. And it was a great week. And as that week progressed, we also made plans for her return trip home. Her flight was to leave yesterday morning around 10 a.m., and so we planned out a, a way for her to get to the airport, to Milwaukee Airport, a shuttle for her once she got to St. Louis to get to a hotel. We planned out, um, or she, she packed her clothes. We brought the luggage downstairs. She went upstairs early to turn in so that she could wake up early and be ready to leave early in the morning. And so all the plans were made uh, for my mom to get up, wake up, leave Saturday morning. Well, about 10.30 uh, Friday night, she received a phone call uh, while she was sleeping, and it woke her up, and it was my brother Scott on the other end. And my brother Scott is a little bit of a prankster. Uh, if you've ever met him, he's actually a very, very funny guy. But, um, but he, he calls up and he says to my mom, yeah, all flights are canceled to St. Louis because a tornado has torn through the airport. And so my mom comes downstairs and she tells me, my flight's canceled because a tornado hit the St. Louis airport. And I look at her, and I said, well, who told you that? And she said, Scott. And I said, April Fool's. It's not real, Mom. Right? This can't be true. A tornado hits the St. Louis airport and shuts it down. So anyway, so I'm thinking, well, maybe, maybe she misheard him. She was asleep. She woke up, didn't hear it correctly. Maybe it's not really true. So, so then I, I thought, you know, I'd better check and make sure. So I hopped on the Internet and I Googled, you know, Lambert Airport, uh, which is in St. Louis, and tornado. And sure enough, popped up a screen, the local news, uh, they had a video uh, inside the terminal, and there was plenty of evidence to prove me wrong. <laughs> there was, in the middle of the, the concourse, there were seats that had been dislodged, placed in the middle. There was trash out in the middle of everywhere. Uh, out, there was shattered glass all inside the terminal. If you look at the parking garage, there's signs from highways uh, that's nearby that had blown over into the parking garage. And the, the craziest thing I saw was there was actually this this van, this truck, you know, the shuttles that, that go from the airport to the uh, hotels, half of it was hanging over the top level of the parking garage. And so the evidence was overwhelming. There had been a tornado. And so we went and we called AirTran Airways. Uh, the implications of this were, were great for us. We had to call our ride, say, you know, it's canceled. The flight is canceled. We had to call AirTran three different times to set up reservations for my mom to go home tomorrow. But the fact that it was true, when I found out that it was true, it made a tremendous difference in our weekend, in our plans. We had to make several uh, changes in our life. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ is really true, it has many more implications than even that. It has implications for all of our life, for everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we are. And so the question is, is the resurrection true? What if it really is true? What difference would that make? If you would open up to Mark chapter 16, you may already be there, page 853, and we are going to continue the story that Pat was reading to us earlier. We're going to read Mark 16, verses 1 through 8, page 853 
in the Red Bible. Mark 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do praise you that Jesus has risen. The implications for our life are vast and numerous. We are eternally grateful that you have raised him from the dead. Lord, as we study this passage that is probably very familiar for many of us, God, we pray that it would be fresh to us, that we would that we would enjoy the resurrection with renewed vigor, with renewed joy, with renewed hope. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This Christianity thing is a big part of my life. Uh, it's probably a big part of your life if you're here this morning. Uh, it has a tremendous influence. It influences uh, the way that I spend my time. It influences the way I spend my money. It influences the way that I make decisions. Uh, this Christianity thing is the source of my hope. It is the source of my joy. I have a lot invested in in it. And many of you have those same things invested in this thing that we call Christianity. More so, it's even my occupation. Uh, some would say I'm a professional Christian. I'm not sure I'd put it that way, but that is my profession, is to proclaim Christ risen from the dead. And so when I evaluate that and think about it, there are times where I think to myself, what if it's not true? What if this whole Christianity thing is just a sham? What if it's just made up? What if it's just stories? What if it's just make-believe from some people that really were hoping that Jesus would live on? What if it's just made up? Because if it is, then my whole life is a sham. I mean, my hope is a sham. Everything I treasure is in vain. My occupation is worthless. If the resurrection didn't happen. If Christianity is not true. And so when I get to that point, and I think all of us, if we are honest, get there at times. Some of you may have been here getting ready for church this morning. But when I get there, I kind of go through the evidence and I think about, okay, look at the world. Look at creation. Look how amazing it is. I mean, it is so infinitely complex and beautiful and glorious that there must be a creator. Everything from a nursing mother to a blade of grass 
tells us that there is a creator and says, okay, I know that there is a God. And then the next question is, well, how do I know Christian God is the right God? How do I know Christianity is the right religion? Out of everything that is out there, out of all the beliefs, and what it always comes back to is the resurrection. If the resurrection did not happen... Christianity does not exist. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ did not physically happen, Christianity is not true. And so you see, there is a lot riding on the resurrection. As a matter of fact, we gather on Sunday mornings. Do you know why? Because that's the day that Christ rose from the dead. This is the Christian Sabbath day in which we worship God. And so every Sunday we come celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not just once a year, but every Sunday. And so the resurrection is absolutely important for our faith. It's important to our life. Paul actually acknowledges acknowledges this in 1 Corinthians 15. If you would, read along with me, and you'll see how crucial and central the resurrection is to Christianity. Paul says this, And if Christ has not raised then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom, if He did not raise, if it is true that that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, Your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And so you see here, it's very simple. If the resurrection did not happen, there is no reason for us to gather on Sunday mornings. There is no reason to live this life for Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul goes on and he says, If the resurrection does not happen, let's eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we'll die. And so here's what I want to do today. I actually wanted, uh, this sermon's going to kind of be an apologetic sermon, which doesn't mean I'm going to apologize for things. Uh, what it means is we're going to defend the resurrection, show evidence that the resurrection is true. And my hope is this, if you come here today as a skeptic, that you would see the evidence and that God might turn your heart to consider that this is actually true. If you're here today and you trust in Jesus Christ, we know that you have doubts. We know that all of us have doubts. And I pray that you would be reassured that the resurrection is true and this is glorious for you today. And so that's what we're going to do. First, we're going to look at the evidence of the resurrection, and then we're going to look at the implications of the resurrection. And so... um, And so let's first look at the evidence of the resurrection. Now, modern scholasticism, and it's funny I was telling folks earlier, this is going to be a little more academic than normal, but this is extremely important. Modern scholasticism is constantly questioning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're trying to explain it away because they don't believe in miraculous things. They only believe what can happen is the things that we see in physics. Nothing happens outside the natural means. And so there are uh, many theories of what actually happened at the resurrection. Uh, All scientists are pretty much convinced uh, that something happened because uh, the ramifications were enormous in the way that it changed the world. But they have different theories on what happened. And so we're going to look at the three major theories and see how Paul confronts these. And, And we're doing this because 
when, excuse me, Mark, Peter, Peter wrote the book of Mark. But when Peter wrote the book of Mark, what he had in mind was to prove to people who did not see the resurrection that the resurrection was true. And because the resurrection is true, Jesus is the Son of God, and Jesus is the Savior of the world. And so we're going to look at the three skeptic theories and look from Mark and from other passages in the Scripture why those probably could not be true. The first is this. The first skeptic theory is this. It's called the falsehood theory. Uh, some also call it the stolen body theory. And basically what this means, it's a theory that was created that says, okay, now the disciples, who were never clever in the Scriptures, but all of a sudden became very clever, and they decided, here's what we're going to do. We're going to create this fantastic story that Jesus rose from the dead. And we're going to go and we're going to steal the body. And then we're going to go tell everyone that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, the benefit, I don't know. But this is, this is how the theory goes. Now, there are several uh, things that we see in Mark and throughout the Gospels that would be problematic to this theory. The first is that women were the witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, for us, this is not an issue. Um, you know, throughout the Scriptures, God is constantly valuing and redeeming women and showing them dignity and worth. But in the societies, there was a lot of sexism. There's even sexism today. But God holds a high value. But because of the sexism in that society, women were not allowed to be legal witnesses in the court. And so even if a woman saw one man kill another, she could not testify in court because she was not reputable. This was their view of women at the time. And so, um, and so these three women, uh, excuse me, two women, both Marys, as well as some other, uh, a handful of women come, and they see that Jesus has risen from the dead. They are the first witnesses of the resurrection. A couple centuries later, a Greek philosopher named Celsus, uh, who was an adamant opponent to Christianity, set out to disprove the resurrection. And his, his final argument as to why we cannot believe the resurrection is because it was witnessed by half-frantic, hysterical women. That was his belief as why we cannot believe the resurrection. And so the reason why I bring that up is that if the disciples were to create this story, if they were going to create this story, this plan to deceive people into thinking that Jesus is raised from the dead, surely they would have thought of bringing someone that would have been more reputable in their own society. Certainly they would have brought themselves to the tomb. But they brought women. And so we are, we are led to believe that it's true. We are led to believe that God and His glorious plan used women to be the first proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that is one reason why this falsehood theory seems to fall apart. Another is that the disciples and the women and the followers of Jesus went from fearful to fearless. Look in verse 8 with, with me, if you would, in Mark 16. It says this, talking about the women, it says, And they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And so the women fled from the tomb, and they were very scared. Uh, there was this constant fear that the, that the Jews, that the religious leaders, were going to persecute them, to hurt them, to kill them. And so they didn't tell anyone. They went back, they told the disciples, but they didn't tell anyone along the way, because they were afraid. We actually see this in a couple other places. In John 19, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea comes to 
to Pilate to get the body of Jesus. And it says that he went to him secretly for fear of the Jews. And so there was this great fear of the Jews. Later in John 20, it says, On the evening of that day, the day of the resurrection, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood among them. And so the disciples throughout the uh, Gospels are seen as fearful people, uh, many times seen as cowards. Anytime trials come, they flee, they hide, they lock themselves in rooms. Now something terrific happens in Christian history, and it's recorded in the book of Acts, but it's also recorded throughout church history, is that these men... The followers of Jesus Christ going from being fearful to being fearless. Something happened that they would go and boldly proclaim that Christ is alive, that Jesus has risen from the dead, and that He is Savior. They were so bold that all of them, except for John, actually died to proclaim that Christ has risen from the dead. And when they were being persecuted in horrible and long-suffering ways, all they had to do was recant. All they had to do was say that Jesus is not alive, that Jesus is not Savior. That's all they had to do, and they would have been able to live. And yet all of them were so convinced that Jesus had raised from the dead that they were willing to be persecuted and to die for it. And so the question is this. If they just made this up, would all of them be willing to die for a lie? Would you be willing to die for a lie? Something that you know to be a lie. I wouldn't. I, I'm not even sure many times I would die for the truth if I was honest. But these men died for what people said was a lie. And so it seems that this swoon or this falsehood theory couldn't be true because the disciples gave even their lives to say it is true. Now, there's many other things that I'm not going to cover, such as the fact that uh, there were soldiers, trained soldiers surrounding the tomb uh, who would have kept the disciples out, would have killed them, um, who were there, they would have to roll away the stone, all these things. But these are a couple, okay? Uh, the other theory, the next theory that I want to look at is called the swoon theory. And this is actually, many Muslims believe this, and it's that Jesus did not die. Uh, Jesus just went into a coma. Uh, he, he, he went unconscious. Uh, they took him from the cross. They laid him in the tomb. A few days later, he woke up. He rolled away the stone, and he went on ministering and then disappeared. And so that's one of the theories. Uh, one of the problems with that, and this is actually in the passage that Pat read today, is that you see that Joseph uh, of Arimathea see that Jesus, sees that Jesus is dead. And he sent, and, and so he, he goes to Pilate to ask if he can have the body. So there must have been some time that had passed. Now, when, he, when Joseph first saw that Jesus was dead, what it means is that Jesus had suffocated, that he had fallen down, he was tired, and that he had suffocated. That's, that's how you die with crucifixion. You, your arms pull you up and you can't breathe. And so during those hours or minutes, however long it took, Jesus was not breathing. And so Joseph went to Pilate, came back, took down the body. Now, one of the neat things that we see here is that the woman mentioned, the two Marys, the Spice Girls, um, they're actually recorded throughout this passage in Mark 
15 and 16 in some very important ways. And if you ever read the book of Mark, if you ever read Peter's letter, you'll find out that he doesn't waste any space. He is very direct and to the point. Everything he says is very important. And so the first thing he shows us is that these women were at the cross. If you look at Mark 15:40, it's right there on the same page. It says this, There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger and, and of Joseph and Salome. And so you see that these women were at the cross, and so they would have seen Jesus suffocate and die. But what they also would have seen was the soldier who wanted to double uh, who wanted to make sure that Jesus actually was dead. And the soldier takes his sword and sticks it up through Christ and pierces his heart sack and blood and water flow out. And so Jesus was doubly dead. He was most certainly not unconscious or in a coma. He would have most certainly had to have been dead. And these women saw it. It goes on and you see that the women actually see the burial in Mark 15:47 says Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. Now this is significant because when the women come back uh on Sunday they're not going to show up at the wrong address, right? They're not going to say, "Well, you know the address says it's this tomb and it's empty, so Jesus must be alive," right? They knew exactly where Jesus was laid. They knew exactly where to go. And then in our passage, the women are there at the empty grave. They are there to validate that indeed he is gone. And the angel says he has risen. And so the swoon theory that Jesus didn't really die doesn't seem to hold much water either. The final theory I want to look at is called the vision theory. And there might be other names for this as well. But basically what it says is that Jesus' followers wanted Jesus to be alive so bad. And they were such hopeful wishers that they just envisioned him. And they saw hallucinations because they were certain that he was coming back after three days. Jesus had said over and over and over again that he was going to rise on the third day. And so they were so hopeful that they just envisioned him because they wanted it so bad. And so that's what the vision theory says. Now, um, a couple issues with that one is that first off, we see that the Jesus' followers uh, were not hopeful. They were actually anything but hopeful. They were hiding. Uh, when we read this, this passage in Mark, what we don't read is the disciples coming to Jesus' tomb to see if he has risen. Right? That would have been the natural response if they thought it was true. And so, so they, they really didn't have any hope. The women, the Spice Girls brought spice. They had gone and they had purchased it. They had come to the tomb. They had spent time and money to do this. Not thinking, oh, he won't be there. He'll be alive. Everything that we see says to us that the disciples, the followers of Jesus, really had no idea that he was going to be alive. We also see um, that he wasn't just a vision because he ate. In John 21, uh, Jesus joins Peter and the disciples for breakfast on the beach, and he eats fish, something that a ghost or a vision can't do. And then, of course, the famous one um, is that Jesus was touched. You know, the disciple uh, Thomas was actually the first proponent of the vision theory, I think. Um, the disciples saw Jesus, and they came and they reported to Thomas that they had seen Jesus. And Thomas responds this way. He says, unless I see 
in his hands the marks of the nails and placed my fingers into the marks of the nails, nails and placed my hand into the side, I will never believe. Thomas is saying, I am nobody's fool. You all are crazy. You all are just seeing things. Unless I touch Jesus, I'm not going to believe it. And then eight days later, Jesus came and stood among them and he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And so you see the original proponent of the vision theory found out that it wasn't true. That Jesus tangibly, physically was alive. And so this theory, again, doesn't seem to hold much water when you apply it to the Scriptures. Of course, those other things also apply with the vision theory that uh, the stone is rolled away and other things, but uh, none of these seem to hold, hold much water. Now, we have looked at and we have seen from the Scriptures that these, these, at least from the Scripture, don't seem to be evident, don't seem to be true. Now, you might be here and say, well, that's very good, but I don't really believe that the Bible is true. I think it's a collection of myths, a collection of fairy tales, a collection of of hopeful, wishful thinking. And so that really doesn't prove anything to me. Well, one of the neat things is that Paul, uh, who was a disciple that came later, wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15.6. He says, and he's talking about the resurrected Christ. He says, Jesus appeared to more than 5,000 brothers at one time. And then I love this part. Most of whom are still alive. Most of whom are still alive. What is, what is he saying? He is saying, test me on this. Test me on it. Go and investigate for yourselves. The people that saw Jesus resurrected, they're still walking. They're still eating. They're still breathing. Go talk to them. Go ask them for yourselves. They're still alive. And so you can ask them if they've seen the resurrected Lord, and what you'll find out is they all got the same story. Yes, we did. We saw him. We touched him. We talked with him. He is alive. And so what he's doing is he's proving what is written in the scriptures. You know, Peter could have written the same thing in the book of Mark. It just came two or three years after 1 Corinthians. He could have said, you know, all these people are still alive. Go talk to them. Jesus rose from the dead, proving the testimony that they gave in the scriptures. Now, there were people in the time that did not believe, uh, people who were not Christians, skeptics, and one of them was named Josephus. And Josephus was a Jewish scholar who lived from 37 to 100 AD, and Josephus was not a Christian. Uh, he never reported to be a Christian, but he was a historian, and he followed the evidence where it took him. And Josephus says this. In his book, Antiquity of the Jews, in 93 AD, he says this, When Pilate, upon the accusation of the first men amongst us, condemned Jesus to be crucified, those who had formerly loved him did not cease to follow him, for he appeared to them on the third day, living again, as the divine prophets foretold, along with a myriad of other marvelous things concerning him. This is Josephus, not a Christian, saying it is true. The resurrection 
has happened. Uh, um, there's another guy named Lee Strobel, and I'm running out of time, so I'll just briefly give it to you. But Lee Strobel was a brilliant man. Went to law school at Yale. Uh, was also trained in investigative reporting. Uh, he went on to work as the legal editor for the Chicago Tribune, and he was an, an outright atheist, is what his claim was. Uh, when he was in his late 20s, his wife came and said, I've become a Christian. And Lee, Lee said, Lee reports, he goes, I was thinking in my head, this is the worst news I could ever get. <laughs> my wife has become a Christian. All of our fun is over now. Well, Lee went to the church to try to get her out of the cult. And uh, he sat and he listened and he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said he left still an atheist, but wondering. And so he decided to put his law degree and his investigative reporting skills to work. And for 21 months, he investigated the claims of Jesus Christ. And at the end of it, he says this. In light of the torrent of evidence flowing in the direction of the truth of Christianity, it would require more faith for me to maintain my atheism than to become a Christian. Because to be an atheist, I would have to swim upstream against this torrent of evidence pointing to the truth of Jesus. And so Lee Strobel, this devout atheist, became a devout Christian. He went on to write a book such as Case for Christ and things like that, proving that Jesus has indeed raised from the dead, that he is alive. You know, we have this thought that we have to create intellectual suicide to be a Christian, but the evidence is overwhelming. It is a torrent of evidence, as he says. All right, I'm running out of time. What are the implications of the resurrection? I want to look at this through the eyes of Peter. Look with me in verse 6. <clears throat> in Mark 16. And he, the angel, said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Verse 7. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. You know, it's very interesting here, and I've never seen it before. The angel singles out Peter. Peter was another one of the disciples. Why didn't he just say, go tell the disciples to go into Galilee? Why was it, tell the disciples and Peter to go into Galilee and that I will meet them there? Well, if you back the story up before Christ died on the cross in Mark 14, Jesus comes to his disciples and he says that they will all fall away from him, that all of them will abandon him, that all of them will betray him. And Peter says, even though they all fall away, I will not. And then emphatically, he says, if, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know what happens. Peter does indeed deny Jesus three times. And the most difficult, most heart-wrenching part of his life, his best friend deserted him. Many of you probably know what that feels like, knows what it's like to feel like you've been stabbed in the back. Jesus certainly does. And so when Jesus raises from the dead and he goes to meet them in Galilee, he has his chance to talk to Peter. He has his chance to talk to Peter about this. And it happens on the shore of a lake. And Jesus comes to him. What does he say? Does he say, you rotten, good-for-nothing Scoundrel, I can't believe you betrayed me. You turned your back on me. can't believe you betrayed me like that. No. Jesus goes to prove 
the purpose of his death and resurrection, that our betrayal against him would be paid for on the cross of Christ, and that he would restore our relationship with him. This is what Jesus does with Peter. He emphatically restores Peter's relationship with himself. This is why Christ came to die, to raise again, that our relationship with God could be restored and that we can walk with Him. And so the question that we're looking at today is, what if this is true? What if it's really true that Jesus rose from the dead? What if it's really true that Jesus conquered death, that He was the death of death? Then it means that Jesus is alive Today, that He is King, that He is Savior, that He is righteous, and that He is ruling. And it means that we have someone to answer to, but it also means we have someone to go before us to pay for our sin, for our betrayal at the cross. I was telling you about my mom in the airport. Imagine if we said, rubbish. We don't believe it. We went on the Internet, we saw it, and we said, you know what, it's foolish. We'll send my mom to the airport. And so my mom goes down to the airport. She sits down outside the gate. And one of the uh, attendants from the airline comes to her and says, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. The flight has been canceled. And she says, Well, you know, I, I really don't believe it. Um, I just don't believe it happened. Or, or, you know, it really doesn't apply to my life, you know. What, what if that was her response? I mean, <clears throat> we'd all say that's foolish, right? If you are intellectually honest, you have to investigate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You cannot just simply dismiss it. You have to investigate. And what I am confident of is you will find that historically the resurrection is true. And because it is true, we are raised from the dead and Christ is king. Let's pray. Jesus, we do praise you that you came, that you rose from the dead for us, that you conquered death for us, that we no longer have to fear death because we know that as we go from this life to the next, it's better, it's greater. That even now you have raised us up from the dead spiritually, that we now have life in you. We have life in Christ. We praise you that this is true, that the resurrection is evidence of that. It is a great hope to us and we praise you. God, pray this week that as we meditate on your resurrection, that we would find a great